Amen. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for goodness and sweetness, Lord, that can come in the middle of difficult circumstances. And so, God, we, wherever we are this morning, and I know it's it's a hundred plus different places, and maybe maybe we're tired, maybe we're weary, maybe we're a bit calloused, uh, maybe we're expectant, hopeful. Uh, Lord, whatever you're doing in our hearts today, God, we just ask, we even right now just posture ourselves, Lord, even in a place of unbelief, and we know we can do that because it's in the Bible. Uh, you have people saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so this morning, God, would you meet us where we are? Would you bring goodness and sweetness and understanding and revelation of you, Jesus, in the middle of our current circumstances? Uh, would you meet us now in your word? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So when we're in the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 17 today. If you want to turn there, you can also just follow along on the screen. But first, I'm going to fix this. Yeah, that's better. Don't want to wobble. So whenever you open God's word... You want to be asking questions, not just for you, but for the church, for the kingdom of God. You want to be thinking in big pictures. And so this is weird because I was thinking about this, but our Western approach, and I'm learning a lot about this lately because I'm thinking and reading about how does the Eastern mindset view the scripture and how would the early church have viewed um, some of these stories and the things that they're going through. And we've talked about this before, but as Westerners, we like things orderly and we like to pull principles in quick and just give me, like we've talked last, last week, the formula, just give me the formula or the week before. We don't want a curvy road. We would like straight. And if this one's too curvy, we'll build a new one. We'll come up with a new form of transportation, anything to keep it from being hard or long or difficult. And so we ask questions. And so we're asking personal questions. I am finding that it's better to say, Lord, what are you doing? Not what can I get out of the passage, but what are you doing in the world? What's been happening in your kingdom? And so I'm going to give you a funny Maybe to you. It's funny to me that I would even think of this. Anybody seen Finding Nemo? It's been years. So remember when Nemo is setting out to, on this big adventure and wants to find his family, wants to figure out what's going on. And so he gets to the Gulf Stream, remember underneath, and we find the sea turtles. Whoa, dude, you got to go. Come on, man. And he's, he's meet this, this awesome sea turtles. And ultimately, he's like looking at this, this massive stream and there's just like, you know, sea turtles and fish and all these like, it's like this highway. It's this kingdom highway in the ocean that is you either get in or you're out. And I experienced this actually one time I was on a sailing trip when I was a youth pastor and we had to cross that Gulf Stream. It took us eight hours to cross the Gulf Stream and we had to keep the compass pointed because if not, it would take us. It's so powerful. And so there's this moment where in, in Finding Nemo where he just says, you just got to jump in and you've got to let it take you. It's not like, well, I want to see what this means for me. And you're gone. And so some of what you do when you read God's word is you have to 
move past what is this, what's in it for me today? How can I get something out of this to say, God, what are you doing? And how can I join the kingdom of God at work? And so we've been watching Paul and Silas and Timothy and others go about fulfilling Jesus' plan to build a church. Now, there's a, there's a really awesome verse. I've been thinking about this one a lot before we jump into Acts. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus is talking to Peter, but he's kind of talking to everybody and he's kind of talking to us. And he says this, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So why did he say that? What are the gates of hell going to try to do? They're coming after anything that has to do with God's kingdom. And so we should recognize and expect pushback. And that's what I see today. When I'm looking at this story and I'm reading it, it's okay. Where is the pushback in the story? Where's the pushback in my life? So I want to also kind of give the other side of the coin. We want to see what God's doing the big thing, but I want you to find yourself in the story for sure. I want you to ask, this is what I, when I read, I start asking, you know, Spirit of God, what do you want to say to me as it deals with your bigger kingdom? How can I lean in and grow? But who do you identify with? What is the Spirit of Jesus asking of you today? He will mess with you. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. If he starts messing with you, don't resist it. Nemo, come on, dude, righteous, just jump in. Let it go, okay? So Acts chapter 17, we have more text today. Probably for the next few weeks, we're gonna be cranking through because a lot of similar things are happening. So decided just to read more today. Um, today is called Following Jesus into Three Towns and Three Kinds of Trouble. Here we go. Acts 17, verse one. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, meaning they skipped, okay? We've talked about making decisions for Jesus. They felt the spirit say, nope, Nope, keep going. They came to Thessalonica. There was a Jewish synagogue there. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. And then he said, listen, this Jesus I am telling you about, he is that Messiah. Okay, he is the one. So some of them were persuaded joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. You're going to see that phrase a few times today, leading women, people, women that were important in the city because Jesus is the great flipper and the upside downer. And he takes the things of the world. And what was happening in the world at that time was women weren't important. And Jesus says, well, watch this. Watch what I do. And so the Spirit of God notes when this is happening. And so people are being persuaded. Verse five, but the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house, which is probably where Paul and Silas had been hosted. They looked for him. They couldn't find him. So they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. And they're here too to do it. And Jason has welcomed them and they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason, meaning give us money. And if this happens again, 
we'll keep it. So we're going to hold this to make sure that you don't cause any more trouble. So they took the bond from them and then they released them. So Thessalonica, first town, first bit of trouble, a town of 200,000 people on a major trade route through Rome to the east. It's a port city. So the spiritual environment in Thessalonica was lively and varied. And you had whatever God you wanted, you could find multiple God options. Now we're tame today in the way we think about gods. In fact, our gods are polished and, but back then it would have been like some blood sacrifices way back in the Old Testament. They took their children, Israelites took their children out into the valley of Gehenna, which is where they get the word for hell and would actually offer their children up to Molech, this statue that they would heat his hands, burning hot, put the baby in the hands, kill the baby. We want to appease the gods. And so you got this kind of stuff going on in towns like this. There's temple prostitutes. People would say, I want to reach this higher level of spiritual achievement. And so I'm going to sleep with this prostitute. I'm going to make this offering. I'm going to bring this sacrifice. And so you're going into a city like this and saying, hey, I just wanted to know if I could talk to anybody about Jesus. And everybody's like, what? We got our things. We got our stuff going on. So it's varied. It's not easy. So what's it like to speak for Jesus in Thessalonica? What's it like to speak for Jesus in Winona? What's it like to speak for Jesus in Rushford? What's it like to speak for Jesus in the United States? What do they find? They find tough ground. Tough ground. Doesn't mean it's impossible though, but it's tough. It's dry. It's just go ahead and try Have you experienced tough ground with people you've talked about, but maybe even this morning, your own heart, you're like, you can tell, sometimes you, no, I'm not going to say this because some of you, if you're you're crossing your arms, you're going to be afraid about this. But sometimes this, this posture, you ever been in a meeting with somebody and you watch somebody do this and then they actually sit down and they're like, they're just closed up. They're like, they're, they are closed off and it's, Stay away. Tough ground. It could be you today. That's okay. I am not one of those that thinks, oh, this week is outreach Sunday. And next week is just church people. And the next week we'll do outreach. I think the God, that God's word speaks to everybody, no matter where you are. And so you could be the tough ground today, or you could have a child that, whose ground and heart is tough. And you're like, it's not happening, Lord. You may be in a situation at work. You may just look at the world and kind of think like, hey, you know, I'm kind of glad I've got my fire insurance that I'm going to heaven, but I don't know if I'm going to be telling anybody about this because this is a little too hard and I don't like what happens. So we look at this and we want to ask some questions. What can we learn from Paul's approach? Doesn't mean we do it exactly as he did because there's no synagogue in Winona that I'm aware of. Are you aware of a synagogue in Winona? No. So it's not that like he went to the synagogue. Where are the synagogues? Let's go to the synagogues. But we can learn some stuff. We can get wisdom and we can get wisdom for how to speak in public for Jesus. Sometimes, sure, it is on the street corner. I think I've told you guys before that story when I was in college, I was in Amsterdam and we were on an outreach mission and standing in this place called Dom Square. And there's like hundreds of people. And the guy said, who's going to preach? And he goes, you, he's pointing at me. And I was like, 
oh, no, I think I said something else. <laughs> and I actually stood on a box, like a soapbox. Like, and, and there wasn't like anybody was gathered. It's just everybody kind of milling around. So I was like, hey, hello, hello. I'm going to say some things. My name's Chad. I'm from America. It was so uncomfortable. And so it's not that that doesn't work. Sometimes it works. But what does it look like for you tomorrow, Monday through Saturday? Because Sunday's the easy day to talk about Jesus, right? We're all kind of here with an understanding of like, if somebody asks me about Jesus out there, it's like pretty normal. It's in a church. But tomorrow at work, or with your kids or your family or when you're thinking about other things with friends, what's it like to represent Jesus? So what do we learn from Paul? He starts in the synagogue and that was the spot where he knew there would be people at least with some openness to hearing about God. And his content is laser focused. It is laser focused. He doesn't say, you know what, let's talk about some spiritual things. Everybody's spiritual, you know? What does he say? Hey, there is a chosen one. God's anointed. That's what Messiah means. It means the anointed one, the chosen one. God has picked somebody to fix all of this. And I know this sounds crazy, but he actually predicted this long ago in the Hebrew scriptures that that one would have to suffer and die. This was for them, and I think it is for us too, if you think about it. When you think about leaders, powerful leaders, eloquent speakers, people that get things done, the last thing you think about is them dying or taking a humble route or giving themselves over to powers and letting them kill them. That is the last thing. And so it was for them difficult. It's for us difficult but he's laser focused. It's a Messiah. He has to suffer and die. And oh, by the way, he did die, but he rose from the dead. And they're like, what? This doesn't make sense. So narrow, it's exclusive. It's flammable. It's flammable to say there's one God. There's one way to him. Everybody needs to get to him. And he died. Oh, but don't worry. He punched death in the mouth. And he came back to life. And you need him. That is not popular. It's flammable. It's like throwing gasoline on the culture fire to say exclusive. And I even remember, I was, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, watching Oprah struggle with this question. So I think Oprah's phenomenal. She's an amazing lady. I don't know where she stands, but I remember somebody saying, I think Jesus is the only way. And the whole audience on TV, including Oprah, was like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that. Not in our day and age. And that's what we agree. That's, it's flammable. It's not something you could do. Paul could have done something different, though. We could do something different. We could try to be palatable. We could try to be clever. The American church, the Western church, has tried something different, haven't we? Sure. Anything to kind of avoid direct conversation about Jesus. So again, you could be the dry heart, the tough ground this morning that is saying, yeah, I agree with you. 
I don't like it that you're saying it's exclusive. I think there are plenty of ways. Or you could be on the other side and you're trying to reach somebody and you're like, I don't know how to say this without them getting upset. But Paul never skirts the issue. He never avoids it. He says Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection are front and center, but he's a drop in a powerful ocean of 200,000 people. And what can a drop of Jesus do in an ocean of 200,000 people? Verse four, some are persuaded. Some say, sure, let's, let's do that. This sounds good. Jesus, this is awesome. It's working. You're doing it. I can't believe it. You're giving. We like to say this when it goes well. God gave favor. When it goes poorly, God did not give favor. But that's not true. Hell will try to come against anything of Christ. And so, Lord, this is awesome. Your gospel is working. It's power, powerful, even though it's foolishness. I preached the cross, but that wasn't the only response. So imagine Paul going to a friend's house after this few weeks in Thessalonica. So three weeks, three different Sabbaths, he was there. And they said, hey man, how was church today? You know, I think it was good. I think it was good there. I preached Christ. I preached about Jesus being the only way, his life, his death, his resurrection, that he's the king, that they need to accept him, that there's no way to be a part of his kingdom unless he takes care of that sin in their life. It was awesome. Some people responded and then, and then there was a riot. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, like kind of a, I don't know, kind of the whole city started like throwing stuff and burning stuff and yelling. And yeah, it was, it was a good day at church. This is hard to stomach. It really is for us. So, and it's the religious people who are starting the mob. I find this is so interesting. These are God's chosen people. They go to the marketplace and grab evil people. And it says, we just went and grabbed a bunch of people. And people, when they get into these things, they're like, yeah, I'm so angry. Whatever it is, I'm against it. I'm going to fight, even though I don't know, know what it is. Mobs have that way. I'm sure there is something happening in the spiritual realm when mobs gather too. Of course there is. There, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers and powers and principalities. There are things happening in the spirit when bad things happen in the world. And they're, they're actually saying the Jews who have God as their ultimate king and leader are saying, they're saying there's another king besides Caesar. I think they're conflicted. What do you think? Yeah, they're mixed up a little bit in some of the stuff that's going on with the government, the empire of Rome, and they're struggling to know about their own allegiance. So some are persuaded, others not so much. A riot, was it a success? Is this a good day in ministry for Jesus? Is it worth it? Jesus, is this you? Should he rethink his approach is my question. And I'm asking these things for myself too, because I want to tell you, it was a really bad week. It was a really bad week. Because you know what I felt this week? I'm reading about Paul ministering to people, and I am thinking and experiencing in my heart and mind that I don't know how to do this, Lord. I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know if many of us know how to do this. I feel like helpless. I feel helpless in trying to share your gospel. It seems so muddled and so messed up in our world. Should he rethink his approach? Should he soften his tone? Not be so direct. I mean, it did start a riot or run. 
Verse 10, as soon as it was night, they ran. They ran. <laughs> How did church go? Great, riot, then we left. We're out. Wait, aren't you guys in Winona? Yeah, not anymore. We left. Things were bad today at PV, and so we just kind of shut it down. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. This is not, hey, I think they may be open. This is get out now. They're going to kill you. They're looking for you right now. So upon arrival, they said, you know what? Let's rest. This is, that was hard. That was difficult. I don't know if I can take this whole ministry for Jesus. What do they do? Same thing. Same thing. Glutton for punishment. As my friend Brandon would say, glutton for punishment. <laughs> they go into the synagogue. And the people here, interesting, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness. And they said, does it say that? Does it say, let me look, let me look. Now, nobody has their own Bibles, okay? There's a scroll in the synagogue. Nobody goes home and opens up the app and says, I'm having chair time with Jesus today. Leave me alone. Nobody can do that. So what they have is interaction. And it's not even sit like this and have one person talk. There's questions, there's answers, there's a reading, but then they're talking through. And so Paul gives them this. He's probably reading something from the Old Testament. And it doesn't tell us exactly what he says, but what does it say in the text? They examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What things? Will you refer right back to the passage before? These things are that God has one man, that he's the Messiah and the anointed one, that he must suffer, he must die, but oops, he resurrected and he is your only way. They're like, really? We need to look and see if this is true. So verse 12, consequently, many of them believed. And look again, including a number of the prominent Greek women. Upside down, flip it, Jesus. This is what he does. As well as men, I love it. <laughs> Prominent Greek men, women, and some men too. Because back then, the men were the witnesses, the men were the leaders, the men were the ones who got all the perks. The women didn't. And so for God to say, make sure you put that in there is really important. It's really important. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, I, this cracks me up because it's kind of a hike, found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. There's like a crew of Jewish people from Thessalonica. They're like, let's go, torches, pitchforks. Ah! We're gonna stop this spreading of God's word. Then the brothers and sisters, oh man, immediately sent him away again. Run! You have to run again. They sent him away to the coast. But Silas and Timothy got to stay there. Maybe they were a little more quiet. <laughs> Maybe they sat in the corner while Paul fired everybody up and talked about Jesus. And Silas and Timothy were like, mm, 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 mm. And so they got to stay. They didn't have to get run off right yet. Verse 15, those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving instructions for Silas, Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So he runs. And he ends up running again. So we've got in just 10 through 15, he runs to Berea and then he has to run to Athens. Just let it sink in a minute. And, and let us not be so, 
I think we're quick. If something's not going well, or if we have a conversation with somebody about Jesus and they don't respond or they're angry or we cause, we're like, well, man, we got to rethink this whole thing. We have to change what we're saying because people are upset. Paul doesn't do that. I don't think he's being mean, but in our Western approach, we would be starting a group project with a think tank to talk about modifying our approach. We would say, we really need to think this through. Let's whiteboard it. Anybody got any ideas? We'll put post-it notes up and we'll talk about this. And you know what? I think you really need to change your tone, Chad. It's just a little harsh. Maybe hold back. Like, you know, like spend a lot of time before you actually say the word Jesus. Just, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. And one of the reasons we read God's word out loud and we don't just say, hey, this story is about this, this, and this. We actually read the words to you there's something supernatural that happens when we read God's word out loud. It's crazy, but it's, he does something. He works in that way where you just hear the words. I remember going to a church service one time. It was a Messianic Jew, a guy who converted from Judaism to say, Jesus is my Messiah. And he stood up front. And so I was really interested. I was very interested to hear what would he talk about? And so I'm just thinking like, I got my notes out. I'm ready to take just big. And he said, I want to do something for you. And I was like, mm, okay. He said, I want to speak the name over you. So I'm like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> and it was so interesting. I knew the name he was going to say, but he just started praying. And he said, Father, I speak the name of Yeshua, Jesus, Hamashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one over every person in this room today. Your name is above all names. You're the healer. You're the redeemer. You're the savior. I speak your name, Jesus. Man, something was happening in my heart. And so that's why we read God's word. And so as they read and they heard the words and Paul spoke about them, things were happening. So we don't want to get to a place where we say, don't say that part. Don't say that part. Don't Thomas Jefferson it, okay? He's the one who had the Bible with all the blacked out pages, the things he didn't like, all the supernatural stuff. He's like, yeah, no. Cutting it all up. You let the word speak. All of it, even the difficult parts. So Paul, instead of changing, instead of saying, whoa, 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 let me change my tone and come back and talk about something different. He says, you know what? Okay, I have spoken to you the truth and now I'm going to run. <laughs> I'm going to run again. Not in like he's being a coward. He's just obeying the spirit. So we get to see inside the hearts of people. They were of more noble character. So there were hungry hearts in Berea. Tough ground, Thessalonica. Hungry hearts in Berea. People who wanted to search the scriptures. Now, as far as their spiritual condition of the people in Thessalonica and the people in Berea, it's a trick question because the Bible kind of seems like it's trying to say something different, but do, does everybody start at the same place of need for Jesus? Yeah, 
they're still as much in need of Christ, still as broken. So it's not saying they were better people. I think they were hungry and God, when you're hungry, will provide food, but you can say no. You can reject it. So when I read they were of more noble character, you just keep going with what the passage says. Since they examined, since they tried to see if it was true, they said, okay, we will humble our hearts. So when you read noble character, don't think, oh yeah, they were better people. Think this, they got low, they humbled themselves, they were willing to listen, they leaned in, they examined the scriptures, they received the scriptures, they bent their will to Jesus. That's, that's the only difference between Thessalonica and Berea. It wasn't leg up, more righteous. Oh yeah, those are good people there. Those are bad people in Thessalonica. No, everybody's in the same spot. And here's what I would say. Not bad people, deeply loved, broken and enslaved in sin. That's all of us. And God says, here's an opportunity. And I want you to ask the question for yourself. Do you sense the spirit of God in a certain area in your life, giving you the ability to respond to him? And are you saying no? Are you rejecting? Are you pushing back? Or are you doing what the Bereans did? I'm going to see if this is true. Even if all my friends tell me this is stupid, I'm going to see if this is true. I'm going to humble myself. That guy up there is saying that there's one way to be a part of God's kingdom, and it's Jesus. And he's saying that I need him. I'm going to see if that's true. Or as I talk to my friends, I'm not going to take the mealy-mouthed approach and answer them without really answering them. You ever listen to a podcast like that? Where they clickbait you with the title? You're like, ooh, I want to hear about this. This guy's going to talk about the resurrection of the Son of God. And you go, and then they hem and haw forever, and they banter. Gosh, I can't stand bantering on podcasting. 15 minutes of, hey, how are you? I'm doing good. What have you been doing today? You're like, skip, 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 skip. Right? I want to get to the stuff. I want to get to the real stuff. And then somebody says a question and says, hey, do you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily? Because by the way, it's popular to believe that he rose spiritually. I don't know if you knew that. That's the thing. Some people may say, I believe in the resurrection. They're not really believing in a bodily resurrection. They're believing in a spiritual resurrection and the resurrection of his ideas and his goodness and his kindness. And so clarify, you really believe? And here's a mealy mouth, non-direct approach answer that's not an answer. Well, you know, back at that time, people would have talked about the resurrection. It wouldn't have been an uncommon thing to hear somebody talking about the resurrection. And honestly, if we think about it, all of us think about the resurrection because, you know, one day we're going to die and we wonder, can we come back to life? And honestly, if you think about it today, sometimes people are resurrected in hospitals because they legally die, but then they get brought back to life. And so their body's reanimated. And so there's resurrection. So yeah, you know, And you're saying, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> I clicked on this podcast and I've been listening for 40 minutes and you're not saying anything. I want somebody to say, let me start with this. I absolutely believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily. And I believe that we will all be resurrected. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting condemnation. With that said, now let me talk about the context of the first century that they did talk about resurrection. I don't know if you knew that about Rome and the Romans. They thought Caesar had been resurrected. He died and there was a shooting star and they're like, see, 
He's alive. So to hear somebody say, Jesus is resurrected, they're like, right on. That's awesome. No, bodily. He got up and walked around. Now, come on. We all know that's a little. So direct, direct, but not harsh. So you might think that Paul would want to give up having to run now twice. Twice. He's got a few wins. There's a few people that have responded. But honestly, riot and being chased from town to town is not my idea of raising a family. If you think about it, that's hard. And so that's two towns. Town number three. This one's a little bit longer in the text, but it's important. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, hiding out, he's walking around. He's walking around. He's not in some pub drinking away sorrows. I've been chased from two towns now for serving Jesus. Just can't do it anymore, bartender. (laughs) Pour me another one. He's not doing that. He is out. And he's like, okay, Lord, I'm kind of by myself here, but let's see what you're going to do. So he's walking around and he is deeply distressed when he sees that the city is full of idols. So, oh my goodness, you are a glutton for punishment. He reasoned in the synagogue (laughs) again. He goes back in with the Jews and he's telling the same thing. And he says, and he was with those who worship God. He was also in the marketplace every day with those who, you know, happen to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they also debated with him. And some said, what is this ignorant show off trying to say? Others replied, you know, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he keeps telling us about the good news of Jesus and some resurrection. So they took him to the Areopagus, which is a high place where people sat around and talked. And he said, may we learn about this new teaching you're presenting? Because you, what you say sounds really strange. <laughs> and we want to know what these things mean. And then there's a little comment from Luke that says, because the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Just, we don't care. Just add it to our pile of stuff. So Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. I'm passing through and I observing the objects of your worship. Nice way to say idols, (laughs) your idols. I was checking out your idols And I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, let me tell you about him. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in a shrines made by human hands, neither is he served by them. As though he needed anything, come on. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, (gasps) Paul. You are quoting secular people. Yes, I am. We are also his offspring. 
Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God now commands everybody everywhere to change their minds, repent, change their ways, because he has set a day. Let's talk about being direct to judge the world in righteousness. And man, he is on this bone by the man he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, surprise, surprise, some began to ridicule him, but others said, hey, we'd like to hear more. We'd like to hear more about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. A woman named Damaris. Do you see it? Do you see God flipping things here? It's highlighting things that would never, you will not find them highlighted in other texts of the time, but you will in the Bible. Others with them. So Paul's in the city, a few thoughts, and then we're going to come to the table together. He's in the city and he could be walking around looking at all these idols and idol worship and temple prostitutes and blood sacrifices and all this craziness and say, you wicked people, God is going to burn you down. And we've talked about this in the last few weeks. You'll hear me say it often. I think I talk about it a lot because I am so prone to it. I feel it. I feel that when people reject God, I feel, I take it personally and I get mad. But what's happening with Paul? He's broken. His heart is broken. He's deeply distressed. There's compassion. There's movement in his heart towards people. So before he ever says anything, he is walking through the city and he is getting God's heart for the people. He is looking, and this is important, he is looking through and past their sinful activity to see the people behind it who are made in the image of God deeply broken like the rest of us, enslaved in sin, yes, but need a savior, need to know that they're loved, need to know that he lived and died and rose again for them. And so he isn't going to stay on the sin part. In fact, he's kind of going to use it to tell them about Jesus. So as Paul approaches the city, what becomes super clear is this, anything goes in Athens. Anything, every, we'll take all your ideas. Sure, let's have Jesus too. That's great. Let's add him onto the pile. He's a great prophet, some good sayings, some good stuff. I'll put that on a t-shirt. That's awesome. Be kind, great. Anything goes. So I love Paul's, and I'll just read one verse from Corinthians because you wonder what he's doing because Think about the people in this city that he, it mentions. Jews in the synagogue, those who worship God, those who happen to be in the marketplace, Epicurean Stoic philosophers, Athenians on the Areopagus, and anybody else that was sitting around. He's got tons of people to talk to. Not all of them are going to hear reasoning in the synagogue. That was the Jews. He started there, but everybody else is everywhere else. First Corinthians, although I'm free... From all and not anybody's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? 
to win more people. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, I'll be like one without the law. Now, he's not saying he's going to sin, but he's just saying my approach. Though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, I want to win those who don't have the law. To the weak, I'll become weak in order to win the weak. To th- I will become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Jesus. However, we need to approach it. So he gets up on this hill and this is this one's talked about so much. You could probably find a hundred books or more on this one speech. But it's very instructive because what he says is, hey, you got like a thousand idols here. And I see one that says an unknown God. He could have said, you fools. Look at, these are all fake. This is all wrong. Instead, he says, let me tell you about that one. No qualifications, no like, now listen, you need to know you shouldn't worship idols. And he doesn't accept idols anyway. Because think about that. No graven images, no idols before me. He could have stopped right there. I'm not going to tell you about this unknown God because he doesn't accept idols. That's not what he does. He says, let me tell you about him. I'm going to become what you guys need in this moment so that you can hear. So if there is a verse that you put in your mental pocket for the next few years to help you discern what God is doing in the world. I'm talking like when there's an election in a couple of years, or if we have another outbreak of pandemic type thing where there's lockdowns or whatever, and you sit there thinking, what is going on? They're coming for us, right? Which is what we, we want to do. <laughs> this is, it's awful. Circle the wagons, all the Christians come together. Everybody else is going to burn. Kind of how we feel a little bit. Just me? Maybe just me. You put this verse in your pocket, and here it is. God made everybody. He gives them breath and life, and he decided where they would live, and he decided when they would live. And he decided and allows the circumstances in order to do what? Global pandemic? Not saying he's behind it and like, you guys deserve this. But however that works in the supernatural realm, and I know that there are demonic powers and that there's evil and there's darkness, but God is like, I'm not thrown by this. I will use it for my glory. And I will use it to cause people to do what? Reach. You see glimpses of it. Beginning of the pandemic, what did we do? We prayed. We cared about people. We watched people in Italy locked in their homes and singing to each other on the balconies. And we were like, whoa, that's cool. And gradually it turned to, we're upset. Nobody can tell me to do this. This It's all in the middle of our, you know, it's just. But we saw a glimpse of people beginning to reach for something that's in them, the image of God. God has put you here in 2023 and the circumstances that surround our world, including difficult things that are happening in the news so that you and so that others will reach. So don't, I don't do this very often. A lot of times I'll tell you that the only thing I will tell you you must do is surrender to Jesus. 
But I will give a suggestion, a strong suggestion to those of you with children. Don't tell them, I'm just so sorry for the world you have to grow up in. It's just going to be so hard for you. It's changed so much and it's just not the way it used to be. And it's just going to be hard. No, <laughs> no. Acts 17. Hey, you know what, sweetheart? Jesus decided when you would live. He put you here right now. And everybody else, you know why? So that you would reach for him and find him. And so that others would know him too. That's hard to believe, but that's in my pocket. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled that verse out in a conversation in the last few years. So important. But then Paul brings it home and then we're going to do it too. He says this, but that God that you worship, who's provided for you and who has given you life and who has determined that you would live in Athens, he wants you to know he has been appointed to be the one who will judge the world. Scott Sauls is a pastor in Nashville. I'm stealing this from him. He says this, move your judgment day to 33 AD. Move your judgment day to 33 AD. That's what the gospel offers. You can keep it to yourself if you want. You can roll the dice. I'm good enough. I can live. I can do my thing. Paul says, no, he has been appointed to judge the world. And he proved this by raising him from the dead. He's alive. His kingdom is alive. And you must respond to him. Move your judgment day to 33 AD. Don't let it be in the future. Because what you want, we talked about this yesterday in our membership class. It was super fun. You want to be standing in front of Jesus and he opens the book of your life. And yes, all of it will be there. All of it. And he, I mean, just imagine him. Okay. What? Whoa. I, I know. I was 15. With your wife? You said that? Yeah. Oh, that was selfish. Oh, that. Woo. Man. Wow. Wow, Chad. Wow. Father. Father. One will step in front of me. A righteous one. And he will say, this one's mine. This one's mine. He surrendered. No, he didn't live perfect, but I did on his behalf. His judgment was on me. That's what Paul does. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't hold back. And we notice all three towns, there's one man. He's the Messiah. He's got chosen one. He had to suffer and die because of the enslavement of sin for people. He was resurrected. He punched death in the mouth. And now everybody has to respond. So we're going to go to the table and I want to invite those who are serving to come forward. And I want you to consider if whether or not you have moved your judgment day. Whether or not you, when you participate in the Lord's table, is it real? Have you accepted the life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, there's two things there, so grab two. They're stacked. Because the King of Kings is inviting you to his table. He's inviting you to be a part of that Gulf Stream. And as silly as it sounds, I want you to hear the Lord saying, jump in. <laughs> Let it take you. Let it take you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Paul started in the Old Testament when it says they had the scriptures, that's always what they talked about. And so we start there as well when we consider Christ. And he said, there is one. He probably read from Isaiah. Isaiah 52, see my servant, my chosen one, my Mashiach, my Messiah will be successful. I love that verse. Isaiah 52, 13. My chosen one, my servant will be successful. How will he be successful? He will be raised and lifted up. Wording sound familiar? And greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. And so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. They will see what had not been told them. They will understand what they had not heard their whole lives. Who has believed what we've heard? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry, tough, ground. He wasn't impressive. He didn't have a majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of suffering. Imagine Paul in all three towns. He was a man of suffering. No, that's not what that means. Yes, it's what it means. Look at 52. They didn't have chapter markers, but look a few words back. <laughs> look a few words back. The servant will be successful. How will he be successful? He will be raised up. He will be exalted. Oh yeah, God will be, no. He will not look like a person anymore. He will be so disfigured. We will despise him. We will reject him. There will be nothing about what he's doing that will cause us to say, wow, that's amazing. He must suffer. He will know what sickness was. He was like someone who people turned away from. They didn't value him. Imagine Paul reasoning, kindness, deeply distressed, talking to people. He himself bore your sickness, carried your pain. But you just thought he was being stricken by God. I promise you he was pierced for your rebellion. I promise you he was crushed for your iniquities. I promise you that the peace that we have the opportunity to receive was because he was punished. Our judgment was on him by his stripes. We're healed. But we all turned astray. Our own way, God didn't let that be 
the deciding factor though. He says, but God still laid on him the iniquity of us all. So they sat down to the Passover meal. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples, gives it to us, says, take and eat, this is my body. Let's partake together. took a cup after giving thanks he gave it to them and said drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom let's partake together And it says, then they sang together. It wasn't any songs. They were the songs that were sung before Jesus went out to be arrested. So as we sing, consider. Consider not only the cost of you being somebody who represents Jesus to tell others about his kingdom and what that might cost you, what that might mean in running, but also what that might mean in your devotion and the way you are creative and patient and long-suffering and maybe God needs to break your heart for people. I know he has for me lately, a lot. This whole prayer season for us, if there's one huge result in me, it's been that daily praying for people that don't know him and asking for God to give me a soft heart. Well, guess what? He's been answering. Breaking my heart for people. But it could also be that you just are the one with the really hard, tough ground and God wants to break through. Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for these stories, um, for the conviction and compassion and resilience and perseverance of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And Lord, even as we read uh, later in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Lord, the, the believers who stayed with it, even though the guy who told them about it had been run out of town. So would you meet us as we just sing a couple more songs? Lord, let your spirit, uh, as the words we sing in songs many times come straight from scripture. And so God, we just wanna sing these to you. We wanna sing these over each other. Uh, Lord, we want to respond by your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.